Well, good morning, good morning. Thank you guys for being here. So uh, we're going to be picking up from last week. If you were here last week, uh, we're looking at Paul's calling in his life and, uh, that we see from Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Uh, I, I read a quote recently from a writer by a guy named, his name was Jeff Goins, and he's a really famous writer, uh, entrepreneur. He said this, he said, the experience of finding your calling is both mysterious and practical. Now, when I read that, I, I kind of think back to my life and, and other people in my life who I have had conversations with about finding your calling. What are you supposed to do with the rest of your life? And I hear that, and I go, malarkey. Mysterious and practical. I think there's a, a majority of the people in, in, in the world, and maybe even in this room, that would say, I'm not even sure now if I know what my calling is. Like, let's just be honest. You kind of went through life, and... Things came up, and, and you were asked the question of, hey, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? What is, what is your calling? And, and there are some that would probably go, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. I am passionate this direction. I've been given these giftings. I know exactly what I want to do. But I think there's a lot of us that would go, I don't know. And what happened was life just kind of came in, and your calling just kind of came onto you. You know, you just kind of, maybe you met the right person and they, just, they said, well, you know, I've got I've to live in this town for the rest of my life. So you're going to have to, if you want to be with me because I'm the right person, you've got to kind of move to my town. And so you go, okay, I'll move to your town. And then you, you get hitched and you, then you have kids. And that calling that you thought was happening was really just a baby in the other room crying. And so you just had to do what you had to do to make ends meet. You just kind of had to get a job. Maybe you, maybe you c continued an education. Whatever it was, you kind of found yourself in this place of, you know what my calling? My calling is my family. My calling is just living life the best that I can, seeking after Jesus. I don't know about this whole I'm meant to do one job for the rest of my life kind of thing. I just really want to live life like I, like I am. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been completely and totally lost in your calling? So a few, uh, actually several years ago, probably about 20 years ago now, my grandfather was flying in from uh, out of town. He's flying into Atlanta, and my dad was going to pick him up at the airport. Now, my grandfather was a crotchety old man. Love him to death. He was a great dude. He, he was fun to be around, but he was that guy that if anything went wrong, he was going to let you know that it was your fault, and you need to fix it. And so my dad, making sure that he kind of got out in front of this soon-to-be argument, arrives at the airport about 30 minutes early so that he can pick up my grandfather so that there's no dispute amongst the two. And this is at Hartsfield-Jackson, and there's two places in the south terminal, terminal where you can pick people up. Now, there's, there's the, the top part, and then there's the bottom part. Well, the bottom part, about 20 years ago, was only for limousines and taxis. So my dad gets there 30 minutes early. This is before a cell phone lot and all that other stuff, and he's driving around the loop for an hour at the airport, you know, you know, you just kind of go into the terminal, you wait, because you can't do it forever, because the cops are going to go, hey, move along, move along, move along, and so he's driving this loop for an hour, now the plane is, the plane is already supposed to have been landed, 30 minutes past the plane, he's still driving, and so my dad says, you know what, I'm just going to go post up, so he goes to a nearby restaurant, and he waits for a phone call, now this is probably actually 30 years, not 20 years, because this is the days of a pager, remember the pagers, right, so my dad has his pager, and he's sitting in the local saloon. I don't know what restaurant it is, but he's sitting there waiting for my grandfather to page him. 
and he gets this pager, this, this page. He picks up the pager, sees the number, calls it, and the first thing he hears is, you idiot, what are you doing? Da, da, da. And if you don't know my family, that's kind of how they talk. So uh, th- that's how my dad answers the phone, and my dad goes, well, where you been, Dad? I, I circled for an hour. He's like, I'm down at the lot. I've been waiting on you for 45 minutes. You sorry, good for nothing. And my dad's like, okay, okay. What, what turns out was my grandfather was down at the bottom section, which, again, was only for limousines and taxis. And my dad was circling just very close by at the top section. And when I hear that story from my dad, I go, how many times are we lost in life and lost in places, but the the result or the end place that we're trying to get to is so, so nearby. I mean, think about that. He's circling for an hour, probably an hour and 15, and my grandfather is just feet away. And that, the whole situation could have been avoided if someone would have just gone where they're supposed to go. But we circle in life. We circle in life, and we don't necessarily know where we're always going. We're, we're doing the best that we can, and we're doing the best things that we know how to do. And sometimes the answer to our calling is right where we are, but just a few feet to the left, a few feet to the right. And we're looking at this story of Paul. Paul's been called by Jesus, and he's called to do two things. Last week we talked about one of them was to suffer. This week what we're going to talk about is how can we determine our specific calling. See, Paul had Jesus come face to face with him and give him a specific calling in life. I don't know about you, but I haven't had a face-to-face interaction with Jesus to say, hey, Chris, you should grow up and be a preacher. Like, that's not necessarily how this happened in my life. And I don't know about where you are in your life, but I would venture to guess that Jesus didn't shine a light on you, make you go blind for three days and not eat, and then some guy comes to you and says, hey, King, why don't you sell commercial real estate for a living? That's probably not how that happened. And so what I want us to talk about this morning is how can we determine our calling in life. Because if you'll, if you'll think back to this series, it's all about happiness. We're talking about how to be happy. happy. And we find happiness begins with the contentness, contentment and thankfulness in the Lord. And I would say finding our calling in Christ is just an extension of that happiness. Because we can be happy in, in, in the Lord and we can be content with who He is, but as we live through this life, we're going to want to do something. We're going to want to work. We're going to want to maybe have a family. We're going to want to do things in life. And all of these things require us to kind of know what we want to do and where we're called to do it. So where I want to start off is I kind of want to start off with all of mankind generally. And then I want to get to each of us individually in this room. I'm going to go around and tell you what you're specifically called to do. Kidding. I'm going to look at some general purposes in Scripture that we can say, hey, here are, some, here are some ways that you and I, no matter where you are in life, keep in mind, Paul was almost past 40 years old when his calling to follow Jesus throughout the world happened. So it doesn't matter where you are in this room, God may have a specific calling for you. You don't have to continue to circle around with the answer being just a few feet away. So, I want to begin with this quote from a guy named Timothy Keller. He's a pastor up in New York, and he just lays this out very well for us because in order for us to know our calling, it's very important that we understand, as humans, this thing called the doctrine of works. And he lays it out really clearly, and so I want to read this quote for you really quickly. He says, God made the created world by his Spirit. 
and continues to care for and sustain it by his spirit, watering and enriching it and feeding and meeting the needs of every living thing. Indeed, the very purpose of redemption is to massively and finally restore the material creation. God loves this created world so much that he sent his son to redeem it. This world is a good in and of itself. It is not just a temporary theater for individual salvation. If the Holy Spirit is not only a preacher that convicts people of sin and grace, but also a gardener, an artist, an investor in creation who renews the material world, it cannot be more spiritual and God-honoring to be a preacher than to be a famous artist or banker. What's important for us to know is that on this earth, every single job that you have is God-honoring. I mean, every single duty, the, the worst job that you can think, that, that McDonald's flipping burgers when you were 15, that is a God-honoring thing. I mean, even though the fruits of McDonald's may not be that God-honoring, working is God-honoring. And what he has instilled inside each and every one of us is that work is a method now post-fall of redemption. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, work is a good thing. And so I think there's, there's this idea in church that somehow the, the pastor or the preacher or the priest was kind of lifted up in church history and that he was kind of up here and then we had all the, the just the normal church folks. When, when in reality, if you look through Scripture, what, what really is the, the case is that all of us are equal in the eyes of God. We just have different giftings. We have different callings and he has set some apart to be leaders and lead the flock and he has allowed others to do things inside the church. And so it's very important for us to understand that everything we do, we should do it unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what job you perform or, or what duty you have in life, you're doing it unto the Lord. And we struggle. We struggle with that. And, and what's interesting is if you, if you think about today's culture, I think most of us would go, how can I be a born-again Christian in my office? How can what I do on Sundays and in my quiet times, how can that affect my workplace and my workplace relationships and the way that I treat people? You know, what's so interesting is I think today's culture, more than any other culture in the past, we have an opportunity to let the gospel preach better than any other generation before. And here, here's, what I, here's what, I, what I mean. When you go to the office, being a content person in the Lord will come out in your work. Like if you're an employee and you begin to treat your boss, who may or may not be the most fair person in the world, who may or may not be the best boss in the world, but if you begin to treat them with the unto the Lord attitude, meaning you're doing all of the work, not for them, not for the company, not for your bonus, but for God, what will come out in your work? What will come out in your attitude? They'll begin to see, wow, there's something different about this person. It's not just a job for them. When you go in and it's just been a crummy day, it's been an, an awful day at of the office, things that you had lined up, they've fallen through, 
this email got read incorrectly, and so that person messed up this shipping order, or this thing happened there, and you come in and you have a joyful attitude, how is everyone else around you going to receive that? Over time, they're going to begin to go, wow, this person is just different. When they should be reaming me, when they should be just raking me over the coals, they somehow have grace. They somehow show me a a sense of grace that I, I don't even really deserve. And eventually that will be seen. That's why it's so important for us to do our jobs unto the Lord. And here's another interesting little factoid. The ability for you to do work comes straight from the Lord himself. And the ability for you to learn comes straight from God. He says this in Isaiah chapter 28, starting in verse 24. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surfaces, does he not scatter dill? sow cumin and put in wheat in rows and barley in its proper place and emmer as the border for he is rightly instructed get this his god teaches him dill is not thrust with a threshing sledge nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin but dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod does one crush grain for bread no he does not thresh it forever when he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses he does not crush it This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. I don't need you to go home and become a farmer. But what you need to understand from that passage is that what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is that every single one of us has the ability to learn because God has given it to us. When we're on the job and maybe you're new and those first couple of weeks they're difficult and you're learning a new task, Every ounce of ability that you have to learn something new, God is saying, that comes from me. That's grace directly from me to you. And so when we take this job, our ability to work and and learn comes from God. So when you see advances in science, that isn't just because some human was amazing. That's a grace from God. When you see advances in healthcare. That's a grace from God. When we see advances in technology, these, these aren't things to be pushed aside and go, oh, that's weird. No, these advances in technology come from God. When we work, we are functioning how God created us to. And when we recognize that we function that way, we can glorify him even more perfectly. Now, this attaches to our calling because what's interesting is no matter what you believe, even if, even if you, you're sitting in this room this morning and you go, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. I don't know about this whole Christianity. God can use your work to bring him glory. Go back to Isaiah 45. He puts a king, King Cyrus, in place to lead over the people. King Cyrus is a pagan, like not a, not a God follower, does not worship Yahweh. And yet God says in Isaiah 45.1 that he has appointed him and he has anointed him to go and lead over these people. That means he has said, I'm going to put you there, and I'm going to give you the calling and the gifting to lead. So no matter where you are in your life, no matter how lost you and I get, know that God has a plan. Even that, that person maybe in your family who you just look at and you're like, oh man, they're completely lost. There is a plan and a calling for their life. They might just be three feet to the left or the right from it. They are so close. Maybe you are so close. And this idea 
that God has grace and gifting for all of us is kind of this idea, this theological term called common grace, meaning that throughout this world, God has given you and I and other people grace, even though we don't deserve it. And I'm not talking about like salvation. I'm just talking about grace in the sense of, hey, we're going to make sure that there's food. God's going to make sure that you know, things work the way they're supposed to. This is, this is an idea of theologically called common grace. And you can see it throughout Scripture in Romans 8, 28 and James 1, 17 that says God works all things out for good because all of these things, He is working them out for you and I's good. This is just how the world works. So getting back to kind of what we're talking about this morning, how do you and I discern this specific calling in our life? So sure, we're, we're certainly called to work. That's kind of the general thing that we see throughout Scripture. Adam was called to work even before the fall, and, and work's a good thing, and we're supposed to do it under the Lord. But what's that got to do with my job? How do I make sure that I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do? And I think there's really three things. And, a, and, and an old English pastor, a guy named John Newton, kind of came up with these three ideas, and I find them very interesting, and so I'm going to share them with you this morning. The first one is affinity. Affinity. Now, th this basically means what needs or what passions resonate inside of you. When, when you think of something, what, what gives you a little bit of pep in your step? Maybe, maybe there's something in your life when you see something in the world, you go, wow, I'd really love to help this. I'd really love to fix that. Or maybe you're a, a tinkerer, right? You just really enjoy seeing something that's broken and you enjoy fixing it. Maybe you really like working with people. So you go, I have a passion for people. I, I love being with people. Maybe you're going, I don't ever want to talk to people, so I need a job that doesn't deal with people. These are passions inside of you, and, and we can actually see this played out in Paul's life. In Acts 17, he, he goes to Athens, and he sees idolatry all throughout the land, and because of these moments, like in Athens, he begins to create a, a system of apology, meaning of apologists, apologetics, you should say. He creates this system of defending the faith against other religions, of, of pagan gods and, and idolatry. And he creates a whole theology that we can see throughout Scripture of saying, hey, here's who Jesus is, and here's how he says he is this way, and here's how you can defend your faith against these other idols in the world. Paul was very passionate about this. I think it's important to start with what moves you, what your passions are. And that's why John Newton starts there, because when, when it comes down to what moves our hearts, if we look at what we're gifted first, what will happen is we'll find, oh, we're gifted in these areas, and so we'll just go this direction, but we never were pushed in a tougher direction. Maybe there's been a point in your life where you knew or you thought you knew that you weren't gifted in something, and so you were forced to do the job anyway, and what you found through doing that is that you kind of liked it, and you're kind of good at it. I mean, there trust me, there are times where you've probably been put through something and you're like, I hate doing this, and you found out, I hate doing this for a reason because I'm terrible at it. But there are probably some times in your life where you've done something and you've gone, you know, I'm actually really good at this. And I, I kind of enjoy it. It's important for us to step up and, and learn new things so we can kind of see our passions. Maybe, maybe it's an opportunity for you to go serve somewhere in the rescue mission or at a church or something and go, what other skills and passions do I have that maybe I didn't even know that I had? I worked with a volunteer one time who s believed that they did not like production at all. They, were, they thought they were computer illiterate, and we got them 
put on the production team, and just a few years later, they were talking about, I mean, this is the greatest thing ever, and this guy actually ended up going to college to get a lighting degree, and he now works for a, a, a concert company traveling across the nation, and he sets up lights for concerts. And it all started with one moment where he was like, I don't really know if I want to do this, and now he's made a whole entire career out of it. So it's important for us to know what makes us, you know, move, what makes us kind of get our gears going, passionate, affinity. The second thing, ability. What are you gifted in? And I think more importantly at times, what are you not so gifted in? We, we have a tendency to, to look at our skills, and we have a, uh, the same tendency to not to ignore our discrepancies, ignore our weaknesses in life. Paul uh, was an intelligent guy, as we read in Acts 22.3. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He, he, he knew the cultures around him extremely well, as you can see in Acts 17. He was an excellent communicator in Acts 9. You can see that he's a guy that could communicate to anyone. He could probably get them to buy whatever he was selling. He worked his way up the Jewish ladder, and he convinced people to let him lead. And then when he gets saved, he communicates to different crowds, whether they're in the synagogue or they're in the streets, and people just flock to him because he's an excellent communicator. He worked well with his hands. He becomes a tent maker later in life to, to make some money. He's a nomad. He gets shipwrecked. And yet somehow, because he learned these trades early in life, he, he lives. Like, I mean, he, he gets shipwrecked at one point. He floats a day and a night, and then he lands at this island. He gets bit by a snake, and somehow he makes a fire, continues to live, doesn't die, and gets to his, his place of where he's going. I'd be dead. I don't know about you. I don't have the skills to get bit by a snake, make a fire, make my dinner, and then still get across the sea and get where I'm supposed to be going. But Paul, because he's good with his hands, and he's grown up, and he's really just crafty, He's crafty, gets around, BC boys, nothing. Anyway, he's really good at doing things. He's great with his hands. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Meaning, if you are good at something, you should go after that because you're going to pursue it and you're going to rise because you're good at it. Like, don't do the things you're bad at. You should probably try to work on those in the peace and quiet of your own personal time. But the things you want to make money at and make a living at, do those because you're going to be really good at them. And here's the tough part. People around you should affirm these things that you're good at. There's been times in all of our lives, I'm sure, where you thought you were pretty good at something. It's that moment where I was cooking recently, and I got done cooking, and, man, I tasted it, and I was like, oh, this is, this is good. Amy, come here, come here. And I give it to her, she goes, that's disgusting. She affirmed what? Nothing. She confirmed that that was a terrible meal, and we're making eggs and bacon for dinner because she's not eating that, even though I thought it was great. Well, you know, it's just a palate thing. No, it was terrible. I started, like, the second bite, I was like, this is really bad. The first bite was really good, but the second, not so good. Some of us need people around us to say, hey, yeah, I know you think you're good at that. You're not. You're not good at it. Like, it happens. Sometimes it happens when we're on stage with the band. I, I've led with them a few times, and I'll, I'll be playing, and and some of them, thankfully, will have the confidence to go, hey, Chris, that's terrible. It's usually Garrett Law, by the way. He will look at me and go, Chris, that sounds awful. And I'll go, roger that. So what else can we do? Is there anything else we can do? Because that's all I got, right? It's not my 
my calling to, to serve in that area. And that's what happens. You need people in your life around you at your workplace, friends, to go, hey, hey, you, I love you. You're not good at that. Right? That's just what we need. So the first one is affinity. The second one is ability. The last one is probably the most difficult, and it has some, some stages. It's opportunity. So you got to have the passion. you got to have the calling. And then you got to have the opportunity. These three things together will help you discern the calling of God. So opportunities basically, has God made a way for you? Like, are there doors opening? And this is really, honestly, like I said, the most difficult to discern. I can, I can think back about five and a half, six years ago, Amy and I were at a church. We were serving, and we began to pray about where God would lead us next. And about that same time, we get pregnant. And then we're like, okay, so didn't see that one coming. And we were praying to go to like a Chicago, a San Francisco, a New York. We kind of wanted to get out of the Bible Belt. We had been there our entire lives for the most part. She lived in Colorado for a little while. And so we're praying for a big city because I wanted to be in a big city at that time. And then I get a phone call from a guy named Jerry Dingmore in Macon, Georgia. And I go, yeah, nope, thanks, appreciate it. Uh, I answer, and I say, hey, man, what's going on? He got my contacts through some stuff, and I, I hang up the phone. I say, hey, Amy, uh, a pastor in Macon called me. And she goes, Macon? Where, where Macon? She's not from Atlanta, really. She's all over. But I go, yeah, it's kind of like South Georgia. That's what everyone in Atlanta thinks about Macon, by the way. That's, I didn't know there was a Central Georgia until I moved here, just FYI. So she's like, South Georgia? That's not Chicago. That's not San Francisco. I'm like, yeah, I, I know, but, you know, this could be a door that God's, you know, opening, and we've always said we're going to walk through doors that God opens, and so she goes, yeah, I know, right, so we continue to have conversations, and I, I think I have a Skype interview with Clay Murphy and Jerry and a few others, and I get done with that, and I go, hey, Megan's not Chicago, but it's looking pretty good, like, God, I, I definitely feel some, some things in this, and then we move forward in the conversations, and we come down, and we visit, we're like, man, this place, it's just something special, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot God wants, and he kept moving our hearts and moving our hearts and moving our hearts, and opportunity door after door kept opening, and then eventually, as I'm standing here, you know, I moved to Macon, and we don't look back at all, we don't regret it at any moment, but we were praying for Chicago and San Francisco, but then God kept opening doors to South Georgia, right? And so that's what happens sometimes, is you're praying for one thing, but then God begins to give you opportunities. And he begins to, through those opportunities, kind of change your heart and go, hey, maybe you need to go this direction. I heard a pastor say a few years ago, it's one of those Googleable titles of the sermons, like, how to find God's will in your life, right? You can go on Google and you can find it. Well, several years ago, a guy named David Platt, really, pa really uh, popular pastor, did a sermon series on this. And I was like, oh, this would be great, man. He's solid. And I got done with the sermon, and I go, that was not the answer I was looking for. That was just not it. Because he had one bottom line. That was it. Galatians 2, 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you're doing that, you'll know God's will. And, like, he could have just closed it down. and He preached for 45 minutes, but that's pretty much all he said. That's it. And I walked, I go, walked away going, that ain't the answer. A few years later, now I look back, and I go, that's a lot of the answer. Like, if I am in touch with God's will, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. 
you know what I'm going to be able to discern really quickly? Christ's calling on my life. Where he wants me to go. And, and that's, it's a very complicated thing to get to, but when we think about how we get to that place, it's by doing the spiritual discipline, by, by seeking Christ through prayer, by opening his word and letting him wash over us every single day and go, you know what, I'm going to become less, he's going to become more. I'm going to become less, he's going to become more. I'm going to delight myself in the Lord and he'll give me the contentment and the, everything from my heart. I messed that one up. I'm going to delight myself in the Lord and I'm going to seek after him every single day. I'm going to Galatians 2.20 every single situation and I'm going to follow him. And through that, I'm going to begin to see where God wants me to go. The second part of that opportunity is the first part is to be in touch with God's will. And the second is that God's word does not contradict itself. So if you're looking at opportunity and doors are opening, what you need to ask yourself is, okay, are these doors opening of the Lord? Meaning, what I would have a conversation with a student with, with is they would say, oh, I really like this boy. I really, I really like this girl. And I go, okay, tell me about them, right? And like, they're in Christ, they go to church, and then they start talking about this boy or this girl, and I go, where do they go to church? Oh, they don't. They don't go to church at all. Oh, yeah? They don't, they, are they Christian? No, no. And I go, well, maybe, just maybe that's not the right situation for you. Like, there's a scripture that I think is pretty clear about being equally yoked. And not that we're talking about marriage, but, you know, that's weird, too, because you're students. But, like, you should be equally yoked. Like, so if you're running after Jesus, you should look left and right to see who's running with you. Not to see, I'm chasing after this boy or this girl and go, hey, Jesus, I'll catch up with you in just a second. That's like, that's one of those things that scripture is not going to contradict itself. It's not going to call you to do something that it says, hey, probably, you probably shouldn't do that. Or a job opportunity. Think about this one. You get called to do an amazing job, but it takes all of your time. It takes 100% of your, of your free time. As a matter of fact, it begins to fringe upon your abilities to gather with the saints. And I'm not talking about on Sunday morning because this isn't necessarily like anywhere in Scripture that says, hey, you've got to gather on Sunday mornings. But you begin to look, and the job has taken every opportunity you have to gather with the church, to be in a community group, to find any other fellow believers in your life to speak into you. And I would go, maybe that's not the best place for you. Because I think God would want you to have an amazing job that also allows you to somehow find a gathering of the saints. Like, that doesn't mean it's got to be the traditional 10.30 in the morning on a Sunday, because maybe in this season, this isn't the right time for you. Maybe you do need to take this job and go serve somewhere else. But maybe, just maybe, God would want you to gather with the saints. He wouldn't call you to do something that wouldn't allow you to do that. And the last thing of opportunity is affirmation. So in order to understand God's opportunity, you've got to be in touch with his will, you got to know that Scripture won't contradict itself, and then it'll be affirmed in other people. It'll be affirmed around you and people in your life. That opportunity will be affirmed by them. Like, God will speak to them as well. If you go, hey, I think I got this really great opportunity, you look at your spouse, they're going, no, after they've actually, like, received it, then maybe that's not the right thing. Because if we're equally yoked in marriage and we become one, as Scripture tells us to, then me and my spouse are going to be on the same page, and we're going to go, hey, if this opportunity is from the Lord, you know what he's going to do? He's going to give me a heart for it. He's going to give her a heart for it. And our hearts are going to be one, united to do this. 
It's not always that case at the beginning, but if you pray through moments, if you seek the Lord, eventually you'll see a perfect aligning of God's will. So that's how we determine our opportunity. So again, to discern, to discern your calling in your life, you've got to know what you're passionate about, what moves your heart. You've got to find out what you're good at, what you're bad at. And then lastly, God will give you these opportunities. And we discern our calling by doing these things. Now let me tie this back in really quickly. Paul, going through his life, has a lot of giftings, a lot of great skill sets and passions. He goes through his life. He goes around the Mediterranean. He shares the gospel because that's his calling. God has called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles through suffering. He does this. Now, on his way, he runs into some trouble, and he has to eventually make it to Rome to go sit in front of Caesar to be appointed a, a hearing because he is a Roman citizen. So he begins to make his way to Rome, and he goes on a boat. The boat crashes. He lands on, on an island called Malta. He gets there. He gets bit by a snake. He's making his way through the island. The people think he's like crazy. He's a little bit of a god, they think, because he doesn't die from the, saint, from the snake. But then he, he works that situation out. This whole time, he's fending for himself. He's making his own food, whatever. He gets to Rome, and he finds that they're not ready for him. So in Acts 28, it says this. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Here's what's interesting I find about Paul's life. He had a very specific calling for many years. He was, he was lost for a lot of his life. He was not following the Lord. As a matter of fact, he killed people who followed the Lord. And on the way to kill and imprison more people, God gives him this miraculous call, wakes him up, and says, Paul, you're going to follow me, and through great suffering, you're going to preach the gospel to all men, to all women, and you're going to do it to people who are outside of the Jewish culture. You're going to do it to Gentiles. So Paul begins to do this at the drop of a hat. And he goes through his life, and I'm sure at times Paul had to be feeling like my dad, circling around the airport going, what am I supposed to do? Because I, I, I just keep running into roadblocks. I, I get whipped by rods. I've been stoned. I've been, I've been beaten. I've been betrayed. I am completely and totally lost. I'm not even sure I'm supposed to be doing this anymore. And then he gets shipwrecked on the Malta. He's going up to Rome to fix his life. And he gets there, and they're not ready for him. And what Scripture tells us that for two years... He not only fed himself, but he, he continued to preach the gospel. I, I find this very interesting. I, and I think this is key for us. Our calling in life, our vocation, whatever we're called to do, is never disjointed from the calling that God has on our lives. We talked about that, I think, in week three, that every single one of us is called to follow Jesus with everything that we have. Like, that's, that's the calling that he's put on our lives. And Paul gets to this place, and he says, I'm kind of on pause mode. Like, car, we've got to pause the game, and for two years I'm going to support myself, and I'm just going to chill. No, it doesn't say that. It says, for two years I'm going to support myself, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. What would happen if you and I could just take a, a, a sliver of Paul's enthusiasm, enthusiasm for our life and for the gospel. Like, what 
would happen. Hey, Jesse, come here real quick. Grab those posters on your way for me and keep the white side facing that direction. Appreciate it. Hey, this is Jesse, our, our drummer. Everybody say, hey, Jesse. All right, so, Jesse, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little game, all right? You ready? So, let's just say, I'm going to give you a sign. Jesse, you come over here. Jesse, Jesse's got a lot of skills. He, he's a great, not only a guy, but he, he's also a really great parent. And that's kind of been a calling on his life. He, he, God, God said, hey, you're going to be a man of God. You're going to follow after me, and you're going to lead your children, my children, he would say probably, well, you're going to do that, okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, Drexel, come up here. Come up here, Drexel. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Drexel's got a lot of really great skills. If you don't know, Drexel's actually a culinary guy. Like, he can cook really well. And so there's a job out in this world, and it's called a pet food taster, right? Real job. You can Google it later. So there's some people who are really good with chemistry. Like, they're just, they, they know all that. But then at the end of the day, how do you know if the dog is going to like the food? Well, you got to have Drexel. Because Drexel's going to be a pet food taster. And so he's got all the skills that it needs to be done to, to be a pet food taster. And, and that's what's going to happen. Let's see. Uh, uh, who else can I get? Austin. Austin Gracie. Come up here, brother. Here we go. There's another job in this world. This, this one's my favorite, by the way. My absolute favorite. Uh, let's see. You can stand, stand on, on this side there. Uh, Austin ha has people skill. He's great with people. And so in Japan, there's a job called the train pusher. So they only work at the morning and the night shift uh, of the, uh, the really important rush hours, and all they do is they literally push people onto the train so that they don't get, like, an arm locked into the door. That's literally, so Austin, great with people, big guy, he can just push him in there, and he's going to say, that's his job. Like, he's been called to do it, he's got a passion for it, and the opportunity happened, you're flying to Japan tomorrow, right? It's happening. And then last but not least, uh, come here, MK, come here, girl. Right now in this season of her life, she has been, you know, just given a passion and a calling to be a student, right? And if she hasn't been given the passion, Jay and uh, Angie will make sure she does have the passion. So you can hold that. So she's going to be a student. That's just what she, that's the mode she's in. Sure, she can be a student athlete, whatever, but that's, there's still a hyphen in there. It's student. That's the job that she's been given. Now here's the most important part of all of our jobs in this world. You might be given a passion, you might be given calling, you might be given an opportunity to do this, flip your signs over. But you've been actually called to be a gospel carrier who's a pet food taster. You're a gospel carrying parent. You're a gospel carrying train pusher. You're a gospel carrying student. That's the calling in your life. Paul didn't just set up there and say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to be a tent maker for two years. I'm going to make my money and beyond. He's going to say, you know what, I'm going to carry the gospel wherever I go. And that's our calling. Church, that, that's what you've been called to do. So you need to figure out what you're passionate about. You need to figure out where you're gifted and where's the opportunity. But at the end of the day, that gospel carrying thing's right there with you. Like it's actually, what is it? It's first. Gospel carrying pet food taster. Y'all give these guys a round of applause. Appreciate y'all. You can keep your calling. You can keep your calling. I don't need it. Thank you. No matter the specific calling that God has given you, he has given you the calling to follow after him and everything. And that's, that's every single one of us. Every single one of us in this place has been called to follow after God. And I, what, what I want you to know is that I, I would desire for you to not circle around in life going, man, I'm just lost. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Look left or look right. So I would say, hey, follow those three things. Like be in God's will. You know, crucify yourself. And it's no longer you who live, but... Christ who lives through you, accept the calling of God to follow after him. 
and then begin to say, okay, what moves my heart? What, what things am I passionate about? Maybe, maybe you're a guy who likes numbers. Maybe, maybe you're a girl who, who likes touching feet, so you need to be an athletic trainer. And I don't know. There's people out there that do it. We need, we need these jobs. But never forget that God has given you that calling to work so that you can carry the gospel with you as you go. Like, that's, that's our calling, church. And if you want to talk about on a, on a low-attended Sunday like this, you want to talk about, hey, how do we, how do we build a church? How do, we, how do we reach people with the gospel? That's how we do it. It ain't because Claire's going to hit an amazing note and the song is going to be great or a sermon's going to be amazing. It's going to be when we carry the gospel with us when we leave this place. It's not about a Facebook post. These things help. They're good. They help us carry the gospel. But you and I have been called in our jobs, in our schools, in our parenting to carry the gospel, to be people who other people look at and go, that's just different. That's a person who works well. When, when tragedy comes their way, they have a place to look and go, there's joy, there's grace, there's mercy, there's hope. And in the middle of this Christmas season with all the hustle and bustle and all the parties and all the things that come up and our schedules get cramped, and stress levels rise, and for some, anxiety rises because you begin to see the credit card bill or every, every other thing in your life, you go, you know what? I see a better way. I see a better way. And it's to put everything I have into carrying the gospel of Jesus with me. Because there are people out there who need to hear the better way. And they hear it from people who have invested and said, this really is the better way. I mean, I know there's a lot of ways out there that the world is saying you can be free and be happy. But the best way, really, at the end of the day, all of it, the only way is to trust God with everything we have. And man, I'm telling you, if we can be a people who can do that, I think God will bless us beyond our imagination. I believe he'll begin to bless our schools. He'll begin to bless our cities. He'll begin to bless the blight in this, in this county. He'll bless because he'll look at his people and he'll say, they have humbled themselves and they're calling after me. So as we close our series this morning about happiness, I just want to draw us back to that very first sermon where I gave you a compass. And I said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's what we need to do in order for us to be happy in life, to find our calling, to, to, to know exactly why we are put here. You know what you got to do? You got to delight yourself in the Lord and then give the desires of your heart.